Amen. What an awesome song. Aren't you glad Jesus is a friend of sinners? Can I get a witness on that one, right? Because all of us were, but he reached us. God bless him. Hey, listen, you've got a Bible, Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. If you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. So we find ourselves in Luke chapter 19, verse 28 this morning. We're going to go 28 through 48 today as we continue the subject series, The Great Coronation. The Great Coronation. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 28. You've got it there. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. And uh, if it's in front of you, say yes. And uh, notice what the Bible says. Verse 28, Luke 19. Uh, Jesus, after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as Jesus had told them. And they were untying the colt. And its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And he was going. They were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, these stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They'll level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus entered a temple, and he began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. He was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. They could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on to every single word that Jesus said. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that you would... Uh, really plant it into our hearts that it might bear fruit that remains. Put your hand upon every single person. Speak to them. God, you know exactly what they need to hear today. So make it very plain to them. I pray that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. Grant me the energy and stamina to accomplish the task of preaching the word this morning. And we'll give you glory for what you do. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So you can be seated. Well, how many of you agree, like nobody ever made a promise to you or I as followers of Christ that it was going to be easy? Y'all agree with that? Say yes. Nobody ever promised like, hey, follow Jesus, simple road. Not at all. In fact, it was pretty much the opposite. You know, Jesus shared a parable about the future realities of the coming kingdom. He shared that parable and we looked at it last week. It's called the parable of the nobleman. Jesus was describing how he was the nobleman who was going away to a distant country, namely heaven, to be coronated by God the Father. And then at the appropriate time, Jesus would return to the earth and establish his kingdom. Jesus told a parable to those who were around him because they had supposed that the kingdom was going to come immediately. 
And so he realized in their anticipation, wanting to teach them the truth, that the kingdom was not going to come immediately as they were thinking, but it was going to come in the future. But then he challenges them to make sure that they live in such a manner that while he is away, they are faithful to his call. So that whenever he returns, they might receive reward for their faithfulness. In fact, we learned that awesome truth last week, how you and I manage our opportunities given to us by God today while Jesus is away will determine our responsibility when Jesus comes again. So the Lord Jesus is coming. Now, as followers of Christ, we've been entrusted, the Bible teaches, with the gospel. So every single born-again believer has been given the good news of Jesus Christ. That's been entrusted to you. So you are called to express the gospel by sharing it with those who are far from God. The Bible teaches that you and I will be judged based upon our faithfulness to do just that, sharing the good news of the gospel. But we've also been entrusted with a spiritual gift to be exercised in the body. And we're going to be judged based upon our faithfulness to serve in the context of the body of Christ with the gift which God himself has given us at the moment of our salvation, the moment that we came to know the Lord. We also know that you and I are entrusted with God's resources. So God has granted by grace to give you resources, financially speaking, so that you might invest them generously in the expansion of the kingdom's work here upon the earth. Now, as we look at our text this morning, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our supreme example on how to live. Jesus, God in the flesh, although considered God, The Bible says in Philippians 2, did not uh, consider uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and became obedient to God the Father. So listen closely. God the Father had a specific plan for Jesus Christ, his Son, to fulfill upon the earth. Jesus laid aside his divinity. He didn't give it up, but he laid it aside. And as a man, he submitted to the Father's will. He gives us a primary example of what it means to follow and submit to God the Father's heart. And so as we look at Jesus, you and I are going to be challenged to make sure we follow his example. But check out the plan which God had. Jesus mentions it in verse 28. And this is all by way of introduction, but I am building something here, so stick with me, all right? Verse 28, the Bible says, after he had said these things, he was going up ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now this is awesome, right? You and I think about trips to Israel and Jerusalem today as vacations, right? They are tourist attractions. Many people actually uh, push them out that way, even from churches, that you can go and visit Israel, visit Jerusalem, and see the places where Jesus walked and where Paul the Apostle walked. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, he was not on a tourist vacation. Jesus was going to Jerusalem with a specific mission in mind. And that mission was to go to the cross and to actually perish on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus has already mentioned the fact that that's what he's going to do. Jesus now is entering, coming close to Jerusalem to accomplish just that particular fact. Now, while Jesus is just outside of Jerusalem, Jesus calls two of his disciples... And he asked them to do something that almost seems a little bit strange, right? He says, you guys going up to the village ahead of us, you're going to find a colt there. Nobody's ever sat on that thing. You untie the colt, you bring it. Somebody's going to ask you, what you doing with that colt? Why are you taking my colt? You tell them uh, the Lord has need of it. So these two disciples 
which are completely unlike me. Are y'all listening? I would have been like, you want me to do what? Go where and get what? They're going to think I'm stealing it. They're going to stone me, cut off my hands for stealing. Are y'all listening? Say, yeah. But these two guys said nothing. In fact, they just went up. They grabbed the colt, just as Jesus said it would be there. There it is. And then somebody comes and says, what you doing with that colt? Say, well, Jesus needs it. So then they bring it back. Jesus gets on it. What is the big deal here? Here's the big deal. Zechariah in the Old Testament made a prophecy. He prophesied under the inspiration of God the Father, listen, that Messiah King Jesus would actually come into Jerusalem riding on a colt. Now, it's pretty awesome. It's found in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Check this out. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. He is humble and he is mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So now, think about it like this. God the Father, are y'all listening and say yeah? So God the Father has a predetermined plan for Christ the Son. Jesus was coming to the earth. He was going to go and die on the cross for humanity. Now, in order to get the wheels in motion, Jesus Christ had to enter into Jerusalem and the whole town, listen, had to begin to listen to people chanting that Jesus Christ was indeed the King. And so he went, these two disciples, they grabbed the colt, Jesus got on it, and listen, this is awesome. Their simple obedience granted them the opportunity to be a part of God's divine plan upon the earth. Isn't that awesome? Their simple obedience, like, go get the colt. Yeah, we can go do that. Now, it makes me just want to say by way of introduction, never underestimate the Lord's request to accomplish simple tasks. So the Lord may be calling you to do something very simple, and you're like, what would I do that for? Listen, when you are simply obedient to God, you are getting in on His divine plan here upon the earth. So just be obedient. Now, Jesus, again, is headed uh, uh, into Jerusalem. The crowds are all in a frenzy. Remember, they're all fired up because the majority of them think that Jesus is coming to overthrow Rome, to establish a kingdom. And everybody who's been following Jesus, he's going to hand out all of these places to serve in the kingdom. So they are fired up. They're throwing their coats down. Uh, The book of Matthew says they're throwing down palm leaves as Jesus rides in on the donkey, on the colt, and he's stepping on all of these palm trees. Now, this is a very customary, by the way, uh, in the context of that day. It's actually pretty customary in our context today. Maybe not in the U.S., but overseas, definitely. I was in uh, Kenya on one occasion, traveling from one place to the next, and all of a sudden, some people went flying by us with sirens going. I kind of thought it was the police, but it was not. They were coming, and people were getting out of that particular vehicle, and they were cleaning off the dirt road. They were throwing down all of these branches and palm trees, and I thought they were doing it because I had come to Kenya. I was like, God bless you. That was a joke. But anyway, so uh, what they were doing is there was actually a dignitary who was fixing to be entering into the city, and they were getting prepared. That's the scene. Jesus is coming in. They are preparing. Verse 38, they are shouting it out. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, you and I read that text, and we're like, all right, that's pretty cool. But this is massive. This is a messianic psalm which the people of Israel would repeat over and over again during the week of Passover. 
And they would do this as a fact that God was going to send a king to establish a kingdom. So when Jesus enters into the town, what is unique here is that they're not just stating it as a fact now. They are actually applying that verse to the person of Jesus. So they are saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are saying in front of everybody, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah king. Here he is, bless his name. They applied it to him. That's why the Pharisees were fired up about it. Makes verse 39 clear. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So they basically were like, uh, Jesus, listen, you need to tell these people they don't need to be calling you the king. Uh, Jesus, listen, you need to tell these people they don't need to be calling you the Messiah. And I love what Jesus says in verse 40. He says, if these are silent, talking about the disciples, then the stones will cry out. Now, most of the time we hear that verse repeated in the context of a worship service. It's like, y'all better get your praise on. If you don't, the stones are going to cry out. And then you can apply it to that. But this is much weightier, much meatier what's happening in the text. God has foreordained that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem. He has foreordained that everyone would see him as the king He has foreordained that this would actually cause an upheaval in the political structure which would lead people to grab hold of the person of Jesus, carry him off to be tried, and then carry him to be crucified. All of this is the predetermined plan of God. Are y'all listening? Say yes. So whenever Jesus says, if they don't say it, speaking of the disciples, if they don't say, I am the king, This is so predetermined by God that these rocks will say it. The Word's going to get out who I am. Isn't that awesome? And so that's what's happening here in the text. Now, we laid the foundation. Y'all with me now? I'm going to preach. Because here's what's awesome, right? When I'm looking at this text of Scripture, I'm thinking, all right, Lord, uh, Jesus is the primary example. Jesus had a specific plan. God, you have a plan for our life as individuals. You have a plan for our fellowship as a church. Uh, What can we learn together this morning as we follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, Two things that I, I sense the Lord wants us to learn this morning. It really is teaching us how to pray differently. So I'm going to give you this morning two prayers that I want you to pray every single day this week. Can I go ahead and get a uh, confirmation that you're going to do that? Would you slip your hand up very quickly and say, I will pray these prayers. <laughs> Sorry, five of y'all. Y'all like, tell me what they are first. <laughs> I know how it is. I don't blame you. I'd be skeptical too. All right, so here's the prayers, and then we'll get you to confirm at the end, all right? And if you don't, we'll cut your hand off. But let's go ahead and, that was a joke, Old Testament coming back, all right? But anyway... Prayer number one, here it is, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. That's the first prayer. I want to encourage every single individual to pray that prayer this week. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. We just sang that particular song with that statement in it. But where does it come from? Look at verse 41. The Bible says, when Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace... 
But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now, this passage of Scripture is magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ and His heart. His heart is absolutely broken over the fact that He is ultimately going to be rejected by His own people, Israel. Now, the term in the Greek New Testament for weeping uh, does not describe a few tears rolling down the Master's face. This idea of weeping here speaks of huge sobbing. So you picture Jesus literally looking upon the city... And in that moment, he falls to his knees and he sobs greatly. If you were to view it, you would see tears pouring forth from his eyes. You would see his shoulders bouncing up and down as he is weeping bitterly over the people in that city, Jerusalem. Now, why is he so brokenhearted? What's the issue? Well, I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, no matter where Jesus looked... He found calls for weeping. If he looked back, he saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities and been ignorant of their time of visitation. If he looked within, he saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. They should have known who he was. For God had given them his word and sent his messengers to prepare the way. See, Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow... Because they did not recognize who he was truly. And he is speaking specifically of those in Israel who are of the religious sect. And don't you listen to this. This is huge, right? The people who knew the most Bible missed God. <laughs> y- y'all ain't listening. The people who knew the most Bible missed God in the flesh. Who are those? Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. Their heads were massive with Old Testament theology. Their heads were filled with prophecies about Messiah. And yet when Jesus showed up, Jesus of Nazareth, they wanted nothing to do with him. This guy can't reign over us. This guy can't be our king. And Jesus... It's heartbroken over the situation because of the hardness of their heart. And the divine judgment of God the Father because of the hardness of their heart was to close their eyes to the fact of who Jesus is altogether. Jesus in this moment prophesies that the city would actually be overturned. And that's exactly what happens in A.D. 70. The city of Jerusalem is attacked and the city is overturned completely. Every single thing that Jesus said would occur actually occurred to them. Listen, because of their rejection of who he was. It's amazing, though, if you look at Jesus this morning for a moment, what you see is a person who is heartbroken over the lostness of the people in Jerusalem. Now, are y'all listening say yes? So here's my question to you. What is your heart broken about? What is breaking your heart? Anything? Unsaved people, somebody yelled it out. Ain't no doubt. 
It's amazing here. You, you know, I was uh, headed, I just finished preaching a revival uh, one day. And I was headed uh, back over to Africa to do some training. And before I left this place where I was preaching a revival, I think I was actually preaching in Cedartown. Uh, a guy came to me and handed me a book and said, Levi, you ought to read this book. I think you're going to enjoy it. So I looked at it. It was the autobiography of a guy named Bob Pierce. So I never heard of Bob Pierce, but I'll read it, man. Thanks, Bob. i to get on the plane. I'll read through this book. It's going to be awesome. So I start reading through the book on the plane, right? Ethiopian Airlines. Y'all with me? So here I am flying. I'm reading my heart out, and I am overwhelmed by this guy, Bob Pierce. Never heard of him before. Bob Pierce worked with an organization in the 1940s called Youth for Christ. Y'all ever heard of that before? There's another guy who worked with it. His name was Billy Graham. Y'all heard of him? All right, all right, good deal. So anyway, he, he's working. He's over in China, and he's preaching crusades. And these people are responding to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Their lives are being radically changed. And there's one particular girl who hears Bob Pierce preach on one occasion, and she responds and gives her heart to Jesus Christ. Her name is White Jade. And White Jade goes home. She tells her parents, I've given my heart to Christ. Her parents are overwhelmingly angry. So they actually take her and beat her. And then they kick her out of the house. She's completely abandoned, all because she's responded to the message of the gospel. So then she runs into a missionary in that town whose name was Tina. And Tina began to talk to her, hear her story. And Tina is like, Bob Pierce needs to do something about this. So she takes White Jade in her arms. She carries him, or her rather, to uh, Bob Pierce and says, Bob, you were preaching the other night. White Jade responded to the invitation, gave her heart to Christ. She's been kicked out of the house. She has nowhere to live, nobody to take care of her now. Bob Pierce, what you going to do about it? And Bob Pierce was broken. He reached in his wallet, pulled out a $5 bill, which was the last one that he had, and he gave it to Tina, who was going to oversee White Jade, and simply said, I will every single month give you five bucks to help care for this child. And then Bob Pierce left. His heart was overwhelmingly broken to the point he began an organization called World Vision. You ever heard of that? World Vision is still thriving today, helping kids where people, just like you and I, can give financially every single month just to help care for an individual. Bob Pierce wasn't not only broken about this, Bob Pierce was also broken over the hunger which he began to witness with his own eyes as he was traveling around preaching the gospel. So Bob Pierce sat down and created another organization called the Samaritan's Purse. You ever heard of that? Pretty awesome, isn't it? This two guys began both of these worldwide organizations, and hardly anybody has a clue who he is. But Bob Pierce was being used by God. And in this autobiography that I was reading, it says that he had written in the flyleaf of his Bible. And this is Bob Pierce. He writes it this way. Let my heart be broken for the things that break the heart of God. That's his prayer. God, break my heart. For what breaks yours? And one author noted about Pierce, he was a man with prayer burning in his heart. He functioned from a broken heart. Listen, listen, have you ever prayed like this before? God, break my heart for whatever's breaking yours. Here's the deal. Broken hearts are God's doorway to effective ministry. Broken hearts are God's doorway to effective ministry. 
Man, I want to challenge you, every individual in the house today, to pray that prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Maybe you can do that in your house. Maybe that's what you need today. You need to go home and you need to sit down in the house and you need to say, Lord, you know what's going on in this home. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Maybe you would go into your neighborhood, maybe walk up and down on the streets and say, God, break my heart for this neighborhood. Whatever's breaking your heart here, break mine. Maybe you do that where you work. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Listen, God could very well begin a missionary movement right where you work. Because you are overwhelmed by the broken heart of God for those who are lost that you spend time with every single week. God, break my heart for what breaks you. Have you ever prayed like that? Man, I have, and I can only tell you that I have simply because of that autobiography. When I finished reading that book, man, I began to pray that. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Uh, Have you not done it? I mean, I know surely you've driven up and down uh, 129 here and just seen all these people driving back and forth, going everywhere. And just, man, my heart's like, Lord, where are these people going to spend eternity? God, where are these? Do they know you? Have they heard about you? God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Maybe you've been in a high school football game or, or, or some middle school event where everybody was gathered together and you saw everybody standing there and you were just like, Lord, how many of these people don't even know who you are? God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Man, we've got to pray. Listen, that's why we talk about 777. It's not some slick little scheme that we came up with. This is saying, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You are broken over the lostness of our community. We can't sit around and do nothing about it. Break us. Y'all down with that prayer, yeah? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Now, let's go to prayer number two. Lord, give me courage to take advantage of the opportunities you give. If you want to make it short, just say, Lord, give me courage. God, you're going to, listen, this is how it works, right? Check it out. Look at me. Eyeball to eyeball. God, you're going to break my heart over something, and I know I'm going to need to do something about it, so now you've got to give me courage to do it. And uh, Notice Jesus' courage. It's pretty awesome. Verse 45, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying, My father's house should be a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. He was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do for all the people were hanging on every word that Jesus said. Now check it out because this is huge. Passover is a massive celebration in Jerusalem. Uh, People of Israeli descent would travel into Jerusalem to go to the temple. About two million people would show up at an event like this. That is a lot of people in a small town. So they would enter in. And those who were traveling there had to bring at least two things. One, they had to bring a temple tax. Two, they had to bring a sacrificial animal. Many of them brought a lamb, but they could not fiscally afford a lamb. They brought two turtle doves to be offered up as a sacrifice in the temple. Now here's what was going on. This was a time you traveled in Jerusalem and you went to worship God. But people were taking advantage of that situation. Matter of fact, some business-minded people said, oh, these people traveling in, why don't we turn this into a money-making scheme? That's what they did. So they began to set up these tables where they would tell people, oh, you can't come in here and pay temple tax with that foreign coin. You've got to change that thing out. 
And you got to get the right coin. So they would set that up. That's the money changer's table. And you would go and you got to imagine yourself there, all right? You're standing in line all day long waiting just to get up to that table so you can have somebody take advantage of you because they were price gouging you. They weren't giving you a fair exchange rate. They were lining their own pockets. And not only just like random people, they were religious people doing this. And then you would go and get in another line. And you would stand in there waiting to go up there to look at the animals. Maybe you didn't bring one. You were going to purchase one when you got there. And so you looked at a lamb or you looked at those two turtle doves. And they gave you the price. But they gouged you. They hiked the prices. They're the only place selling it. They could sell it for whatever they want to. And so they were taking advantage of all the people. And these people were just making money. You stand in line all day long. And you are even thinking, I can't believe what this has turned into. Are y'all with me out there? Is that what you're thinking? Think that way with me. Because all of a sudden now Jesus comes in. So who's that guy? I don't know, man, but he looks pretty ill. Y- y'all out there say, yeah. Because d- don't be sissifying Jesus, all right? Jesus comes in there and he breaks through all the lines. He runs up to a table, he grabs it, he throws that thing in the air. And you can see the coins going everywhere. You can hear them as they hit the ground of the temple. You can even see those who are so idolizing their money that they were diving on the ground trying to get back their change. You see Jesus going to the next one, and he's letting the sheep go. They're bleeding. They're echoing through the temple. You can hear those two turtle doves as he's letting them go, and their wings are flapping together. You hear every single bit of that. And those who were there, who were the religious, are going, who is this guy? Who is he thinking? What gives him the right to come in here and do something like that? Then you and I who have been standing in line are like, get him, Jesus. I don't know who you are, but I like you. Knock them tables over, baby. Y'all see the scene? What's amazing, though, is nobody could do anything. One person, Jesus, comes in there, and everybody is just like, What do we do with this guy? Then the Bible says he just sits down and starts teaching. Everybody's listening. They're hanging on every single word that he's saying. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, watch watch how it works. Are y'all listening and say yes? Because I'm trying to get to the end of the message. Here it is. His heart is broken over their lostness. He sees the temple and finds out that they've turned it into a den of robbers. They aren't using the temple as a place to actually allow people to meet with God And so over the brokenness in his heart, he is filled with great courage. And can I say it like this to you? And indignation. Anger. Jesus got angry. Sure did. Fired up about what was going on in there. So much so that with courage he moved in and began to turn all the tables over. It's amazing. What a picture. Are y'all listening and say, yeah, this is huge, right? So God breaks your heart. He breaks your heart over something that's, that's breaking his. And then you know you've got to do something. So you're like, Lord, give me courage. And here's what I found. That's, uh, listen, even, even sometimes when you're moving forward with the Lord, you're going forward angry. It's like I thought anger was a sin. It is if it's unrighteous anger. But it's legit if it's righteous anger. Y'all like that preaching? I just said legit. Too legit to quit. That's all I could think of when I said that. Y'all with me? So here, here's here, what, what is it that God might break your heart over that you would be so filled with courage you're like, got to do something about it now. Is there something driving you like that? 
If not, those are your two prayers. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, give me courage to move. Listen, look at the preacher, look at the preacher. God's not called you to come to church to fill your head up with knowledge. It's like, just teach me some more stuff. Just let me learn some more stuff. I just want to learn, 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 learn. Your head, some of your heads are fat with knowledge. I'm all about learning. It's all good. But if we don't apply it, it's not spiritual maturity. People who had the fattest heads missed God. They knew more Bible than anybody else in the room. So let's apply what we learn. Break our hearts. Give us courage. Amen on that? Let's pray it now. Heads bowed, eyes closed.